Hello, Convention of State podcast listeners. Normally, we reserve this channel for audio versions of our live broadcast, COS Live and the Battle Cry with Mark Meckler. But as a bonus, we like to occasionally release some historic legacy audio for your enjoyment. Michael Farris, Convention of State's co-founder, testified in 2015 before a legislative committee in Louisiana in favor of our Article 5 resolution. After two-thirds of the states pass this resolution, a convention of all the states can propose amendments that would place term limits, fiscal restraints, and other restrictions on the scope and power of the federal government. Louisiana was the eighth state to pass this resolution. He's a constitutional appellate, appellate litigator. He served as lead counsel in the United States Supreme Court, uh, eight federal circuit courts, and the appellate courts of 13 states. He's a JD with honors from Gonzaga. He's an LLM with merit in public, uh, public international law from the University of London. And he's the chancellor of Patrick Henry, Henry College and the chairman of the Home School Legal Defense Association. And he was the founding president of each of those associations. Um, he is the president of the Convention of States organization. And he is very knowledgeable on these subjects. I implore you to please listen to him and, and take what he says as uh, well-researched and well-set in precedent <laughs> and in law. With that, I'll present, I'll let Mr. Farris uh, speak. Thank you, sir. Um, Mr. Chairman, thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, I will also try to be brief. I've been here from the beginning, and I understand if, where you are uh, time-wise. Um, appreciate uh, your patience. Uh, that's fine. I'm, I, I'm fine. Um, the, the measure you just heard has never been heard in any other state. Our measure has been heard in a number of states, has been passed uh, completely by Florida, Georgia, and Alaska. It's been passed this, this year in seven individual chambers, but we have not finished the process in any other state yet. Uh, in fact, it, there's a, a floor vote going on at this moment in the Missouri Senate. Uh, it passed the Tennessee Senate last week. So this is a, a serious nationwide effort uh, that is um, now before you here in Louisiana. The purpose of our application is, uh, is to propose a convention for a particular purpose. And that particular purpose is not a single amendment, but a particular purpose. And that purpose is to restrain the power of Washington, D.C. And in, in three phrases, to impose fiscal restraints on the federal government, to limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, and impose term limits on federal officials. Those, would be, those are a rule of germaneness. Those are the things that could be lawfully discussed at the convention. It doesn't mean, for example, in term limits. A lot of people are ambivalent about term limits. And the, the chance to, to vote on that would be both at the convention and then if you got 26 states to approve a term limit proposal there, whether you like that idea or not, once, you, once it comes back for ratification. Uh, some people like term limits for members of Congress, other people like term limits on federal judges, and both ideas would be germane in the discussion. But the principal efforts here are to impose fiscal restraints and limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government. Uh, the Environmental Protection Agency has, for example, decided to wage war on coal and is not far behind in other forms of fossil fuel war that the EPA is, is attacking. The only way that the states have to stop the misuse of Article One legislative power by the agency, the Environmental Protection Agency, is to do something here. If, you're, if the states are going to have the ability to do something appropriate, this is the methodology. Um, the um, the people that were testifying against the prior resolution would make the same arguments, I presume, against 
uh, our application. But they would have also made the same arguments against the, the application that this body passed essentially unanimously last year, calling for an application for a balanced budget amendment. So Louisiana is already on, on board with using the Article 5 process. The question is, do you do more than simply limit the power of the federal government relative to a balanced budget? Or do you take uh, action relative to the Commerce Clause? Do you take action relative to the General Welfare Clause? Do you take action with the idea that the EPA can make law by itself, or should laws be made by the elected officials of the United States? Should Congress have to make laws? Should we be able to stop the process of mandating uh, positions to state governments? The, uh, federal, the whole problem with federal mandates is it's a denial of a Republican form of government. You all are, are elected to represent the people of your own district and the people of Louisiana generally, but not the people from California and Illinois and Florida and New York and so on. But when Congress tells you to do something, what you're doing is implementing the will of the voters of other states because you no longer have your own opportunity to do what you think is right or what Louisiana thinks is right. You have to do what Congress is telling you to do. And in that sense, we're, we're denying to our people a Republican form of government because the people should be able to elect the leaders who make, them, uh, who make the laws for them and the, peop the, the people from Illinois and so on that are telling you how to vote, your people in Louisiana didn't vote for those folks. And so the... Um, uh, the one other thing that would be, seems appropriate to uh, address is the whole idea, how in the world uh, are we going to expect the, the federal government to follow the Constitution today if they don't follow, or after we amend it, if they don't follow the Constitution the way it, it's written now? And, and the answer is this. Effectively, there are two constitutions in this country. There's the Constitution as written, and then there's the Constitution as interpreted by the Supreme Court. And those things have very little commonality between them. Uh, and so if you ask members of Congress, is the federal government following the Constitution? Most of them would say yes. But they're following the wrong one. They're f they're, they, their justification would be the Supreme Court said so. The Supreme Court gets things wrong on a regular basis. The Supreme Court was wrong when they said that black people can never be citizens. That was reversed by the 13th and 14th Amendment and has stayed reversed and needs to stay reversed. Uh, they got it wrong when they said despite the Equal Protection Clause, women couldn't vote. We reversed that, the Supreme Court on that one, with the 19th Amendment. And they got that wrong and it got reversed and it needs to stay reversed. They've gotten the whole idea of the growth of federal power wrong in so many zones and we can reverse them on those misuse of federal powers with the Commerce Clause, the General Welfare Clause, the ability to rule through executive order that's been done by Republicans and Democrat presidents alike. Those are the kinds of things that can and must be addressed if we're going to save this country. It's balanced budget is a good idea, but spending limitations and tax limitations and the limitations on the use of executive power are important as well and are essential to really solving the problem of a runaway federal government. That's the runaway we need to fear. The, the runaway fear of a convention is speculative. I represented... Dark. To start to okay. Yeah. I represented four Washington state legislators in uh, a constitutional challenge under Article 5 in the late 1970s relative to the Equal Rights Amendment when Congress purported to change the rules in the middle of the stream. And you, 
the ruling of the federal district court in that case was you can't change the rules in the middle of the stream. If you call a convention for purpose A, B, C, you can't change the rules in the middle of the stream. There's political reasons, there are legal reasons, and there are historical reasons that it simply is not, not possible. So uh, we urge this uh, committee to, to pass this, this application so that the floor can debate it. This is a serious measure that has been well-researched, been handed out to you. Uh, the list of constitutional scholars from all over the country that have endorsed our application as being uh, well uh, well drafted and also is the only way to raise rein in the federal government. We urge you to um, favorably consider this measure, just as you did last year for the balanced budget. This takes it to the next step and says we th are going to take federalism seriously. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Farris. Uh, Rep Representative Gaines, do you have a question? Yes, a brief question. Uh, one of your goals, uh, objectives, was fiscal restraint, and right. I think we all can agree that we, we would support any proposition that limits federal spending. But my concern is if you constitutionally restrict it, wouldn't you uh, unduly um, limit or restrict uh, the federal government for making necessary and proper, timely necessary and proper financial decisions uh, for situations of uh, any measure that would be uh, unanticipated but but absolutely necessary and in a timely fashion and wouldn't that be a, uh, what I consider undue restriction uh, representative Gaines mr. chairman uh, it um, would depend entirely on how the measure is written um, just like the balanced budget amendment that, that this group approved last year um, it would your question apply to both measures they have to be properly written and there has to be proper overrides and um, uh, you know, the proper overrides would be if there's a declared war, then there's an override, if there's some other kind. But the, the, the details of how the overrides would work would be drafted at the convention, and you would come back and say, is this, this override too broad, or is this override too narrow, or is this just right? And, and so uh, our fiscal restraints are, are identical. The, the, the difference between what you passed last year and ours is we're focused not just on a balanced budget, but on spending restraints and on tax limitations as well. Representative Dan Hay. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I, I walked in late, so I didn't get the full effect of the uh, presentation, but I did come in. You were talking about the Supreme Court and their rulings, um, and, and, and you made mention of some of the rulings they made, and they went back and they corrected themselves, and that's probably been the thing that's taken place throughout history with the Supreme Court. Uh, times change. They change with them. There's decisions they make. They go back and correct themselves on it. That's just the way it is under the U.S. Supreme Court and the way it should be, actually. Um, and, I, and I guess I, my question is, is the 200-plus years of jurisprudence uh, means nothing in, in, in your, your, your view? Um, uh, Mr. Chairman, Mr. Danhey, um, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure we've communi uh, that I've communicated correctly. The Supreme Court did not reverse itself on those matters. The people reversed them by the constitutional amendment process on the cases that I brought. Sure, the Supreme Court changes its mind from time to time, um, um, there, and and that's both good and bad. And I've, I've you know I've argued cases. Well, I've argued a case and been on and, and won in the Supreme Court, and I've briefed dozens of cases in the Supreme Court. And you know you you ask them to reverse themselves, and all that's well and good and. But, but some of the fundamental rules of law 
that the Supreme Court has adopted, let's take the issue of mandates on states. In South Dakota versus Dole, the Supreme Court has said that the federal government can spend money that's beyond its enumerated power and order the states to conform to the will of Congress on something that was never delegated to the federal government in the first place, and that's not unconstitutional. That's South Dakota versus Dole. Now, if that, that's the rule that gives all the mandates, how are we going to reverse that? Are we going to expect the Supreme Court to reverse that? There's no chance. You can expect Congress to, to propose an amendment that would reverse that, would, would take away Congress's power to dictate to the states how the, the states can, can behave. There's not a chance in the world that Congress will ever reverse its power to dictate to the states. The only people that will ever reverse this, the, the, this dictation from the federal government to the states is the states. And so, the, the, the founders believed that no level of government should be the final determiner of the extent of their own power. And by leaving all the power in Washington, D.C., the states are letting Washington, D.C. determine the extent of their own power. This is a chance for the, the founders said the reason they gave you this, this power is that when the federal government abuses its power, the founders wanted the states to have the unilateral ability to override the federal overreach of power and rein things back in. That's the very reason this was put in. Mason made a very explicit speech about this on the floor of the Constitutional Convention. And so uh, I think it's time to rein in their power. They're not going to do it. Okay. So, so you, you're, you're, you discount representative government from a congressional standpoint? I've been a lobbyist in Washington, D.C. for over 30 years. Washington, D.C., always affects conservatives who go there more than the conservatives affect Washington, D.C. Tom Coburn is a, a, a senior advisor to our, our, our effort here. Co Senator Coburn says there is no chance, no chance of Washington, D.C. ever reforming itself. It has to be done from the outside. And the founders did that because they believed in the sinful nature of men, that no man will ever be the proper judge of his own power. And, and so the states were given the constitutional authority to, to be the ones who determine how much power the federal government has. And so I think that, that institutionally, you, you have the authority and therefore the moral responsibility to rein in the federal government's power. They will not do it. It is not in their interest to do so. Okay. You have another question, Mike? Uh, yeah, I just want to address term limits. And I said this okay. when Mr. Prolitzer was here that personally I think term limits are a um, just a, a poor response to uh, voter apathy. And um, if we work towards greater voter uh, involvement, I think you'd have better elections and better people serving. And so term limits to me, and I'll tell you from a personal standpoint in this building, all it does is it empowers the bureaucracy and the executive branch. I, I, uh, I understand that, and two responses. One is this is a rule of germaneness of what can be discussed. When it comes back, I'd encourage you to vote against term limits. I, I hear more interesting comments on term limits. Uh, about half the states I go to, they say, well, the only thing we really need is term limits. That'll solve everything. And the other half says, term limits is the stupidest idea you got. And so the... Uh, uh, the reality in this, this building. Yeah, and and so I'm I'm persuaded. Although I will say that the idea of term limits on federal judges is more popular than term because there's there's no check on their power right now, realistically. And so 
the question is, should we send this to a, a study committee to, to, to look at it and report back on it? This is the exact same process that the states have used for about 125 years with a uniform law commission. The, the, and you send off delegates to the Uniform Law Commission. That's where we've got the Uniform Commercial Code, Uniform Adoption Laws. You go off, you vote one state, one vote. They study it, and then they bring it back. And if you like it, you ratify it. If you don't, you don't. And so that's, that's the question before you today is, are these issues important enough that we should send it off and discuss this as states with the authority to make formal recommendations? And if, if, if that's where we are as a nation, then we should vote yes for it. And if we don't like the particulars, there's the ways to defeat them. Because if a single state, excuse me, if a single body in a state votes no, then the state votes no. So it only takes 13 bodies. There's 99 legislative chambers, Nebraska, the unicameral, 99 chambers. If 13 chambers vote no on term limits, it's done. You know, given the reaction I'm, I've gotten, I don't think it's going to get through 26. But it's part of the political coalition building to get people to work together to try to make the process happen. Okay, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Uh, real quick, Senator Johnson, we have to hear from the opposition still. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be brief. The, the way you just framed the question is the way I understand it, and I think that's right. I'm in favor of the resolution. I just wanted to say on the record, as, as someone who's practiced in constitutional law in many of the same arenas uh, for almost 20 years, about 17 years, um, one of the frustrations has been that just as you said, the federal courts have um, overstepped their bounds. Federalism is a dying concept. And I think desperate times call for desperate measures. I understand the risks. Um, Phyllis Schlafly is one of my heroes, as is Professor Ferris, and I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for your personal sacrifice going around the country and doing this. You're a patriot, and I'm, I'm grateful for you. Um, I, I know Eagle Forum and some on the other side have different ideas of concerns and all that, but I think on balance, my own view is that it's time to, to do this and take, take the risk, at least to put it out there for that discussion and the next step. So I'm in favor for that reason and, and grateful that you're here. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, yes, Representative Dan Hay. I'm sorry. I have one more question. In the, in the resolution, is this the call from the Louisiana? Will this be our call? Yes. H HCR2, yes, would okay. be your call. Okay. Um, we have uh, Mr. Moeller and, and Ms. McDay. Do you care to testify uh, quickly? <laughs> you have turned in red cards. While, while you're coming up, uh, in support of the bill, we had Mr. Clary with the Convention of States, Mr. Carl Braun from Columbia, Captain Bob Bell, uh, Bryce Barra, Chuck, uh, hope I see this name right, Chuck Reams, uh, Mr. Barry Daigle and Mr. It looks like Randy Daigle and in opposition we have uh, Ms. McDaig and Mr. Moeller and also uh, uh, Ms. Long who does not wish to speak. If you could summarize your concerns. Uh, you. I would echo the same concerns I raised about the previous resolution, Jan Moeller with Louisiana Budget Project. Uh, and just note again, you know, the, uh, if a constitutional convention is called, uh, you would not be able to control the subject matter. Uh, you also wouldn't be able to control what it looks like. Nobody really knows because it hasn't happened in 225 years. The process for impaneling the convention, the process for selecting the delegates, for setting the convention's voting rules, and determining what issues the convention could consider, all of this is unknown. It's a mystery at this point. So we have no idea if Louisiana would have one vote and California would have 20 or how it and, and who would select those uh, delegates and, and how that would work. Finally, if you think that this is a way to take the lobbyists and to take special interests out of the process, 
I would humbly submit that that uh, wouldn't happen. If there was a constitutional convention in this country, every single lobbyist in every single state, every special interest would be pouring their heart and soul, energy and money into affecting that, and it would throw this country into turmoil. I would just uh, urge you to be very cautious before proceeding. Thank you, Ms. Miller. Ms. McDade. And, and just really quickly, I would like to read the uh, um, Article 5 because I think it solves all of our problems. It basically, um, it basically says, the Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses shall deem necessary, shall propose amendments to this Constitution. Or on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states shall call a convention for proposing amendments in the plural, you notice it doesn't say an amendment or, or anything like that, which in either case shall be valid to all intents and purposes as part of the Constitution when ratified by the legislatures of three-fourths of the several states. It goes on to say the only thing off the table is what? Your right to vote. Now, when you send, when I sent my kids when they came home from school and I said, you come straight home, they knew I didn't have to say, don't stop at Mary, Johnny, Susie's, or Andrea's. I said, come straight home. I didn't have to say the other. This tells us the only thing that's on the, off the table is your right to vote and my right to vote. That's it. And folks, I don't trust Congress, but I also know that voter apathy will have the same effect on a constitutional convention. You're not going to, everybody seems to think that they're the ones who's, they're going to control it. Did anybody happen to watch the National Republican Convention, uh, the most recent, the National Democrat Convention most recently? Did anybody except the person with the gavel control those conventions? Those of you who are Democrats, do you think that God should have been taken out of your platform? Of course not. But you couldn't control the convention, could you? The guy with the gavel, the people who make the decisions, who call the convention, who say who will be delegates. And let me tell you, Congress is not going to vote away all their powers to uh, spend money, of which 50, I think 43% of our budget is made up of federal funding. 43% of our budget, folks. Are we going to, you know, that's a question I just have to ask. Uh, Congress is going to make certain that this convention is made up of people who will not go after Congress because I don't care what the author of this proposal says. We can't demand that Congress do anything. We, we can only ask that they follow Article 5, and Article 5 gives us no assurances whatsoever, none whatsoever, that our gun rights do not go on the table. And quite frankly, the first Constitutional Convention changed the method for ratification. Do you happen to remember that? I'm not, I'm not totally comforted by the large numbers required for ratification because the first convention changed the method completely when they held a constitutional convention. I once again implore you, I'm not willing to take the risk. You might be, Mike. I'm not. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. McDade. Um, Representative Garofalo, you're right to close. Um, well, come forward, sir. Yeah, yes, sir. Are you Mr. Clary? Carl Brin. Sir, well, come forward, Mr. Brin. Mr. Chairman, I'm Mr. Clary, and in light of the oh. time, I'll, I'll wave speak. Oh, okay. Just, just know that we have a Louisiana presence on the Convention of States. I'm a Louisiana lawyer born and raised here. We're glad to answer any questions and talk to anybody who wants to. Okay, well, thank you, Mr. Clary. I'm glad you had a moment to say something. Yes, sir. I'm going to be very brief. 
anybody here that believes that he's supposed to constitution yeah. convention be a runaway has not read the constitution because constitution leaves that in the state's hands the states pick who goes the states have to ratify even if congress proposes an amendment the states have to ratify it and it takes a majority two-thirds of the states to ratify to change the constitution okay. the other thing is i have some Petitions here signed by individuals in my area that I'd like to present as record to the record. Okay, thank on, you very on, much. Thank sir. you. Yes, sir, Mr. Garofalo. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, with all due respect to the opponents, again, I'm going to vehemently disagree with, they, with what they said. Um, I've done a lot of research on this issue. Indeed, the first time that I saw Professor Harris pre pre uh, present this issue, I was just uh, spellbounded because I as a law student and as an attorney, I had never heard of the Article 5 process before. We have a group of attorneys, constitutional experts, who have advised us on this issue, one of which is sitting right next to me, who has an extremely large volume of work and experience in this area. Um, and I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm going to tell you that I am convinced that what Professor Harris is saying is absolutely the case, that we cannot have a runaway convention. It will not be a, a constitutional convention. It will be a convention of states. Okay. Uh, with that, may I yield just uh, so yes, Professor just Harris briefly. Okay. Thank you. Um, Mr. Chairman, uh, while we were doing the hearing, the Missouri Senate just voted 26 to 5 uh, on a bipartisan basis to approve our application. Uh, and this is moving, and it's moving on a bipartisan basis uh, in this country. The, the, um, the paper that was handed out to you that says, can we trust the Constitution, answering the runaway convention myth, is about the original Constitution. Uh, the, and I would ask you to take a look at that because it is just simply not true that they illegally changed the methodology of ratification. It was done properly and in order, and I, sp I spell out the details there. The, the, the argument that Article 5 leaves open the convention pro process to anything is true with this caveat. Once you call the convention, we have to stick to that convention. There have been over 400 applications for a convention in the history of the Republic, and we've never had a convention. Why? Because there's been, never been an agreement on the subject matter. If the subject matter limitation didn't matter, we would have had dozens of these conventions. But the sub subject matter limitation does matter. It is an absolute requirement to be able to call a convention. Congress doesn't appoint the delegates, the states do. There's simply no scholarship behind that radical assertion. It is just not true. The, the states appoint the delegates. You control the process from beginning to end. And once, once you call the convention, the ruling in the case that I litigated on Article 5, you can't change the rules in the middle of the stream. If you call a convention for purpose X, that's the only purpose that you can, you can consider at the convention. And there is legal, political, and historical basis for saying you will have to discuss only those things at the convention. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod. Thank you for listening.